0: Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, filling out mock drafts leading up to the actual draft in April, filling out March Madness brackets that are going to be dumpster fires within the first weekend of the tournament here. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York.
2: You're listening to DraftKings Network.
3: What's up, everybody? Welcome
0: to Gojo with Golik. Michael Golik, Jr., Mike Golik, Sr., Jesse Cofield back with us, holding it down in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We are brought to you by Wrangler, made for the ride of life. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com or promo code GOJO15. Great show coming up as always download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating. Check us out live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on DraftKings.com, the DraftKings YouTube channel, Samsung TV plus Roku and more plenty to get to coming up a jam-packed NFL weekend. We got the all weekend team as well. We had FCS football. We got plenty going on in other sports here statues on Notre Dame's campus. I am currently out in New York, huh. uh, getting ready to do something with our friends over at Meadowlark media and our good buddy Pablo Torre. at Pablo Torre finds out yet somehow that nice new studio that they've got over there, I can't make use of. So instead I am in my hotel room here right now, surrounded by flakes of croissant dust and the random other snacks that I get at a hotel. Instead, you know, how it goes with all the travel that you do. You basically yeah. subsist a bunch of weird like airport snacks or hotel snacks, throughout the time period there. And the room just
3: becomes sort of a breeding ground for all of it. Oh, it really does. And and I would try and plan, depending on where my game is, my Sunday night game, if it's on the West Coast, I know I have to start this show, which is live Eastern 8 to 10 at 5 o'clock. Or, you know, if I'm in the the 6 o'clock time zone, I know I can't get anything to eat In that morning. So I'll try and make sure I get something before I go do my game like a bar or something. So I have it in the morning. So I'm at least set for that in the morning. And then when fortunate enough every now and then to do an East Coast game, when the show starts at the, uh, you know, I'm getting up at that normal time, like you are in New York, where you know, the the live 8am, I make sure I get up early enough and go down and have breakfast at the hotel get me a nice breakfast before the show so you had the ability to do that this morning and it sounds like you did not do that
0: no i did do that but the only option i had was the lobby of coffee bar because i was not going outside you know like in the winter or when it's raining outside and your dog decides hey, when you go to let them out, it's just too bad outside and I'm not doing that. That is the level of rain that we've got going on outside in New York right now where I was not about to walk out and make myself miserable in the name of going to get food when I could get a nice flaky croissant.
2: By the the way, by the way, the fact that, because it's the same thing's happening in Boston right now. So it's like all up and down the East Coast. It's just torrential downpouring. This time of year, it makes me so angry when this happens because I'm like, why can't it just be a little bit colder and be festive snow? But instead, we just got a torrential downpour. There's nothing festive about that.
0: Yeah, but do you wanna waste your first snow like this? Because you only get one festive snow and then the rest of them are miserable snows. Because then you get all the sand and salt dumped down there and then it all starts to look mucky out there. And then you go down the path of, okay, now we're in winter and it doesn't end until we get to, like, April or early May even sometimes. So do you want to cash that chip in this quick, Jesse, is my question.
2: I mean, I like snow. I like – my feeling is that – so it's still cold out. It's just – it's, like, in the 40s. Like, it's still cold. It's not like it's, like, in the 60s and it's raining. My vibe in the winter is if it's going to be cold and gray and gross, I'd rather have snow.
3: Like, just See, my, let it My snow. thought is – yeah, my thought right before – My wife and I left South Bend uh, because we stay there always through uh, Halloween. It snowed like crazy on Halloween, but we knew it wasn't going to stick, right? Because it was still warm enough out where it wasn't going to stick. So I'm okay with that, you know, but it's when you get to, you know, people talk about the perma cloud. It's like when you get that permafrost on that layer of snow and ice on the ground that once you get to that point when it's not going to disappear until spring. And I know you're not there yet. Mike, I wanted to ask. Are you in a hotel that does not have a restaurant? Is that what I'm gathering?
0: The restaurant wasn't, like, open and functioning when the time I, by the time I got there. Mm. And I was going to have to wait a little bit too long here. I was trying to get some other things done this morning in the lead-up to the show as we've got the Doppler radar now posted up on here. Yeah. So you've got Daily dose <laughs> enough Nothing Better from Gojo and Golik here. Why don't we focus less on weather and my breakfast habits? And more on what the hell happened to the Jacksonville Jaguars last night in Sunday Night Football. We know they're not going to be the biggest story coming up yesterday. And we'll get to the Cowboys debacle and how disappointing that late window was. But we had Sunday Night Football last night, Dad. And the Baltimore Ravens winning is not surprising, right? They're one of the best teams in the NFL. They're currently in position to be the one seed in the AFC They've been playing like that all year, and up until last night, they had been about as healthy as we've seen the Baltimore Ravens late in the season for the last few years. But just as big of the story, we always do that thing of did such and such team win the game or did the other team lose the game? Last night felt an awful lot like Jacksonville went out and lost that game at every critical juncture between multiple mistakes by Trevor Lawrence, fumbles lost by that team, and then the complete inability of Brandon McManus and that field goal unit for Jacksonville to hit anything in the first half of that game. They left so many points out in critical junctures, despite largely outplaying the Baltimore Ravens for large portions of that first half.
3: Yeah, McManus 0-2 for on field goals, and you mentioned uh, Trevor Lawrence fumbled twice and lost both fumbles. So certainly the mistakes, you know, hurt them on that side. But then on the other side, Mike, I've been part of it very, very rarely. There's a couple of games, and this is one of them, where as a defender, you just cringe if you're going to watch tape of it. Because to get run on for that many yards, 42 carries, 251 yards, Baltimore rush for. So while Jacksonville made the mistakes, I'm with you on that. But Jacksonville could not stop Baltimore running the ball. And when you can't do but, that, it's tough for you to get the ball back. Time of possession is normally a monster thing. I think it was a nine-minute difference here. But there is nothing more demeaning than getting just punched in the mouth uh, from an offensive line as a former defensive lineman and getting run on for that many yards. So that's while I agree with you. I looked at the mistakes Jacksonville made – I also was just like, oh my God. It was, I think it was my last year in the league in 93 with Miami. We went to play the San Diego Chargers. And I think in that game, they ran for over 220 yards on us. And it was just... A horrible feeling getting back on that plane, going back, you knowing you lose a game and you get run on the way you did. So that's what I kind of took from that game last night, uh, Lamar. But, you I, know, but I did.
0: I, I even. But I even look at that, Dad. The Baltimore Ravens in the first half of that game, when things were in normal game flow, Jacksonville was doing a better job. Like they've been run on. We talked about going into this game, going back to like the Bengals game that they lost, they got run all over by a bad Bengals rushing attack in this game. You're going up against the number one rushing team in the NFL. And in the first half, you largely held up your end of the bargain. Like I look at what the Jacksonville defense did. They weren't the problem. They got pressure on Lamar Jackson. They sacked him multiple times last night. Yeah, early they on in the game to him and affecting him the offense just completely didn't hold up their end of the bargain and you know how it goes dad when you're the team that's the lesser talented group and baltimore is the more talented roster at this point they're the better overall football team you only get so many opportunities to keep the game within balance before eventually yeah if you give baltimore enough cracks at this over time and when the game score gets out of whack like it did in the second half they're going to run out the clock on you. They're going to pile up the yard. So it got ugly late for them. But I think Jacksonville's defense doesn't have a lot to hang their head on last night.
3: Well, I got, as you said, a lot got thrown on them because of missed field goals and on fumbles as well. Uh, but still, at the end of the day, listen, try and say that when I'm in film session and watching us getting run on. You know, it didn't make me feel any better because you're right. This was a game. I mean, Jacksonville scores... Uh, about halfway through the third quarter to make it a ten-seven game. So while it was ten nothing at half, it's still well within reach for Jacksonville, and they do make it ten to seven, and then. You know, you get one of those ridiculous dry or ridiculous plays by Lamar uh. where how he escapes what he escaped and hits a long pass down the field to Isaiah Likely, who, by the way, was my spicy player of the week. Uh, yes. And he had himself, what, five catches for led the team in receptions, taking over for Mark Andrews. and But he had a great catch. After Lamar just houdiniing himself like he normally does out of the pocket, and then Gus Edwards, Edward, or, uh, Ed, Gus Edwards scores on a one yard run. They go up seventeen to seven, and they they shut out Jacksonville thirteen nothing in the fourth quarter. But it was like Jacksonville got in, got in and Baltimore almost completely kind of said no no no, we're going to kind of shut the door on you right here. And of course, it's Lamar who didn't have a you know a throwing yardage was one hundred seventy some, but ran. He was a leading rusher. 12 times for 97 yards and like I said houdini himself out of you know pass rushes which he has done his entire career anyway
0: sure but like it doesn't make it any less incredible no, smooth, no. I believe was the pass rusher for Jacksonville and they had a great shot of him right after the play yeah. where Lamar goes up and under him Rolls out to the right and then throws a yo-o ball. Like it's a total yeah. 50-50, and yeah. it might have even been 30-70. Because Isaiah likely had two defenders around him. It was a great play by likely, too, but Lamar gave him the chance with a dot there. And they look, and Lamar's on the ground after. Dwayne Smoot's on his knees standing over Lamar, and he looks down, and you can see him mouth. How the hell did you do that? Because he thought for sure he had him dead to rights. And at the very least, it was going to be enough pressure to not force the completion. It's why dad will have an MVP conversation today, especially with the weekend Brock and the 49ers had. It's why Lamar Jackson probably statistically won't win it this year. Part of that is the weight of his own standard, what he did during his MVP season, the comparison that we usually have with, with those guys. But you watch the plays that he makes. And it's hard to argue there are guys more valuable to their team than Lamar Jackson. Between what he saw from him last night as a rusher and what he continues to do, navigating the pocket. They're rotating both offensive tackles on the Baltimore Ravens team right now. Like, as we look ahead for this team ceiling, dad, they're the best team in the AFC right now. And... They've been able to do it by being largely healthy. But last night, you get the really unfortunate news. Keaton Mitchell, the outstanding drafted rookie running back out of East Carolina, lost for the season to a really nasty leg injury late in that game. Ronnie Stanley leaves with a concussion. Marcus Williams leaves with a groin injury late in that game. You do start always worry about that because we've seen it undo Baltimore teams before. But they're going to have their day in court to be the AFC representative for the Super Bowl. They've played well enough to do that. We continue to see Lamar Jackson and Odell Beckham Jr. get more comfortable, like you mentioned, post-Mark Andrews. They're not a team I worry about, but that Keaton Mitchell injury, when you talk about their ability to win the Super Bowl, absolutely something that's going to factor in on the top end.
3: I agree. You know, we talk about injuries. Remember when uh, the 49ers went through theirs and lost three in a row. Debo Samuel, Trent Williams would miss time, but they're as healthy as they've been now. And you mentioned with the Ravens, I mean, the destiny is right in their control of the number one seed. But, but they have San Francisco, the Dolphins, and the Steelers. Well, the Steelers are not worried too much about, as we'll get into. But San Francisco and the <laughs> Dolphins, you know, that that's your game next Christmas. There's three games on Christmas next Monday, and that's that's the the, the night or That's the highlight, San, uh, Baltimore going to San Francisco. And you mentioned the injuries. You know Keaton Mitchell's going to be out. We'll see where Ronnie Stanley is, but he's been nicked up anyway uh, so, a lot of it is how you deal with injuries, when injuries happen, and when you get those any of those people back. You know, you're not getting Mitchell back uh, for, for th- this run at all. So, that's what makes this one, I-, I think, difficult for them because that's what they're looking at. We're, we're all going to build this up, right, as the Super Bowl preview. Because they're both the number one seeds. They're both the two teams playing the best in their conference. San Francisco playing the best overall. But right now, they're the best. We sit there and do our top four every week, which changes all the time because of the games that happen, which is probably how it should go. But these are the two teams right now. Uh, I don't see San Francisco that changing. And with Baltimore, you know, we'll see. We'll see if the injuries start to stack up in the wrong positions. Remember, you already lost your, your top guy and Mark Andrews, though likely is filling in uh, very well for them. So it, it is a game of attrition, which, again, the, the next big game of the season coming up this Monday after we just had two big games of the season this past weekend so they
0: seem like the easy consensus best two teams in the nfl for a lot of people but dad i want to get to the other game yesterday that might be changing hearts and minds on that because if you wiped away the record right now and just went on how the team was playing Man. i think some yes. people would make an argument for the buffalo bills the buffalo bills oh. get the win of the weekend the one that we'll talk about the most blowing out the Dallas Cowboys in a matchup that we had hyped up. Dak Prescott was rolling in as one of the MVP favorites. This Dallas team felt like it had turned a corner after the Philadelphia Eagles win. And they just completely lay an egg out there visiting Buffalo Dad And the Buffalo Bills still have an uphill battle to even get into the playoffs. But right now they look like they are at worst the second best team in the NFC, in the AFC in terms of how they are playing on the field at this moment.
3: Buffalo sitting in the nine slot as we speak. And again, for those that may not know, you take seven. They're sitting there at eight and six. Uh, the seven seed, though, is the Colts at eight and six. Houston is eight and six after their overtime win. So uh, we had a bunch of seven and six teams. Now we have a few eight and six teams they will be battling uh, for those last couple of spots. But that's been the thing with Buffalo, Mike. It's been which team is going to show up. You know, uh, and play what? because we've seen the worst of them, but we've seen the best of them, especially going up against a team like Dallas, who had been playing so well. I had one of those games, too, you know, in Detroit on Saturday where Denver came in playing so well after a horrible start and it just got smoked by the Lions. We'll get into that one. Uh, And that's what happened here. Uh, with, with Dallas, I mean, playing so well. But what a difference at home, 7-0 and on the road, now 3-4. and What a big difference when they have to go on the road and now obviously trending toward being on the road in the playoffs because now behind Philadelphia. Uh, we'll see what happens with Philly tonight if, if Jalen Hurts is going to play against Seattle. But you know it's bad when you look at stats of a game and you say a player outgained a, t- a team. James yeah. Cook for Buffalo, I mean, unbelievable. Had a over 170, he had 179 yards rushing, 42 yards passing, 221 total yards. 221 total yards. Dallas had 195 total yards in this game. Dak threw his first interception in what I think five games or something like that, as well as a, it was a bad one. But by then it didn't matter. By then everybody was saying, why the hell are you leaving the starters in a rainy, cold game when you're getting yeah. your butts blown out in this one? out. you had not already lost an
0: important player in Zach Martin early in that game exactly. to what looked like a yeah. really bad quad injury. I think he got kneed in the leg there. So to your he point, did. you were already yeah. down a cornerstone piece.
3: Right. Yeah, you were so, and and he had told McCarthy after the game he's going to be fine. He didn't play the rest of that game, so I think he'll be back. But it's amazing, Mike McCarthy. Everybody wants to has him fired, you know, a while ago. Now all of a sudden they're playing great, and there's a resurrection. And then in one game they get smoked here. All of a sudden it's Mike McCarthy's the problem again. I mean, this uh, the guy, the guy he can't do any, he can't do enough until he wins a Super Bowl. But that's that's what happens when you're the coach of the Cowboys. I think.
0: Well, I, I think for him and Dak, like it's going to be hard for this team to beat the allegations right now that they are able to show up in big games. Yeah, they beat the Philadelphia Eagles, but we've seen yeah. they are far less than the, the Eagles team that we saw last year, even if the record is somewhat comparable. And dad, the Dallas big game performance, especially against the other elite teams in the NFL, it's going to stick out because of how it went down for them, too they got pressured a bunch like this buffalo defense i think fifth in the nfl in sacks so them getting to dak prescott as often as they did especially post zach martin injury not all that surprising and on the other side dallas i feel like in the dan quinn era when we've gotten to critical junctures we've kept having to talk about the dallas cowboys run defense not showing up i mean you look at what josh allen did not have to do in that game for them to win josh allen who lead the led the nfl coming into this game in total touchdowns accounted for between passing and rushing touchdowns didn't have to do hardly anything but hand the ball off to james cook he said it was like the class project where i show up at the end and still get credit for an a even though somebody else did all the work that's how impressive it was because it seems like when you get this dallas cowboys defense stay ahead of the chains on them, run it downhill at them, they've been much less effective when they're not turning the ball over and get you into
3: third and longs. So I think that's the biggest thing I'll point to in this win for Buffalo because we're always talking about what's Josh Allen going to do? Is he not going to turn the ball over, especially in the red zone? Is he going to run and carry this team on his back running the ball? And, and he was the first one to admit it after the game just what you said. I feel like the guy that got an any of the project where I didn't do any of the work. I think that was great for Buffalo as a team to get this kind of a win over a, a a very talented team in Dallas without Josh being the main cog. So I think this was huge for Dallas to be able to do that. They just they just have to get the consistency back because in the playoffs man, if you're not consistent, you could be a one of a one-and-done situation. And they've had more than a few games this year where they didn't look good. It only takes one time. And we could sit there and say talent-wise they're one of the top teams, but if you can't put it together in all the games, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you make those mistakes you were making and, all, and the turnovers that you had, and all of a sudden you're out. So that was the big thing to me for them is getting that win without Josh Allen being the man. And this was another one I just mentioned – on that other game, Baltimore running the ball for over 250. Buffalo ran the ball for over 260 yards in this game for another one for just a beatdown running the ball. I, I just It just sticks in my craw, Mike, as a D lineman when you get run on that much, no matter what the situation, just how horrible it is. Oh, and now for Buffalo the road is pretty clearly laid out in
0: front of them yep. right now you look at the next couple of games for them and the next couple of games in Miami and if Buffalo handles their business in Miami slips up at all all of a sudden we've got the final week of the season meaning as much as it ever has
2: Miked Up Monday brought to you by Wrangler, made for the ride of life. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com order with promo code GOJO15. So, we're going to use this week's Miked Up Monday segment to go through Saturday's three NFL matchups, starting in Cincy, where Jake Browning led the Bengals to a 27-24 OT victory over the Vikings, a team that cut Browning in 2021. And after the game, he was asked to reflect on if being cut by the Vikings served as some motivation for him.
0: There was definitely a little extra part of, you know, just before the game, like I remember getting cut there the last time and just being told like, hey, you know, we might have a spot for you on practice squad, like go to the hotel and wait. And so I sat in the hotel for like a couple hours not wondering not knowing if I had a job or not and then just basically got a text or a call from my agent that you know they didn't even they didn't tell me like I'd been there for 2 years and you know I've been cut my fair share of times and that was probably the one and uh and there was a little bit more this week. I know I had denied it and there's some great people over there. It's completely different. <laughs> completely different coaching staff and and everything and, and I want to emphasize like there are some incredible people over there but that one that one felt good. I think right after we made the field goal to win the game, I screamed at a camera and said they never <laughs> should have cut me.
2: I mean that is that is savage. That he just like they were like, yeah, we'll give you a call, and then they just were like, nah, eh, well he'll, he'll get the message.
0: I, I mean, it, it, that that's one of those things like that showbiz. Most people who have been around the NFL wow. for any amount of time have some version of that story, or even uglier, as I know that you yes. have in there, but. It's also a good reminder that for everyone who gets to the NFL at this level, you got an ego. It's the only way that you get to this level to get to a spot where now Jake Browning in a position to go out there and ball like he did in the third and fourth quarter in overtime is by having that belief in yourself to where you take that situation and you absolutely throw it into the fire. And I love that he admitted it. We rarely get this moment from guys where they actually admit, yeah, this pissed me off enough to where I wanted to come back and rub your nose in it.
3: And you know what, there's going to be a lot of people out there getting on Jake saying, why are you in no position to be talking like that? And you know what, yes he is, because just as you mentioned it, everybody has an ego. He was undrafted in 19, the Vikings uh, picked him up as a free agent, Cut him, sign him back to the practice squad. Same, same thing happened in 2020. Cut him, brought him back to the practice squad, and, and now he did. he's doing what he's doing. It, it doesn't matter whether you a star, an average player, or a guy in a practice squad, cut a couple of times. You have that, and I said it all the time, man, no matter if it's a – amicable or not you go against a former team there's a little extra juice there so I I all for you Jake man if you if you need want that as a chip on your shoulder and it really was a chip on your shoulder because Minnesota twice had you and Minnesota twice gave up on you and now you got to beat them good for you enjoy that moment and, and also Mike this is what you look at and what you want your backup quarterback to do? I remember last year doing the first game of the season, uh, Dallas and Tampa Bay. Dak Curtis Thumb missed five games. Cooper Rush came in and went four and one, right? And that—that that, your backup quarterback can it go in. His job is to keep you your head above water until the, the starter comes back. Cooper Rush did more than that, going four and one. I mean, that's pretty damn impressive. And now what Browning is doing, and may lead this team to the playoffs the rest of the way. Much like what's going on in Cleveland where they're on their fourth quarterback and, and with with Flacco. We'll get to that. Jake has, has got the boat the rest of the way here, and they're in the sixth slot. So... Man, good, good on them. Nice job yeah. with the backups doing and this team because we kind of counted them out as soon as uh, Burrow went out. You saw Jamar Chase with a shoulder walking off the field as well. You know, So they're being nicked up a little bit. But T. Higgins, some of his stuff was ridiculous what he did. So kudos to Jake, man. You go ahead and do your thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, now I don't want to overstate like Jake Browning has also subsisted by throwing a lot of screen passes, stuff around the yes, line of scrimmage. Like yes. the rest of this team deserves a lot of credit because they've really right. helped pick it up. But he also made enough big plays down the stretch to absolutely get to talk his talk a little bit at the end of this. You mentioned T Higgins, unbelievable catch by the sideline there to reach into the end zone to force, uh, I think to force overtime. Awesome there. And then the stuff on fourth and one on the tush push, the, ba- the Bengals defense. Also deserves a lot of credit in this. Uh, let's get on to the next game from this one. Jesse, we had Indianapolis with a win over the Steelers that look pretty damn lost right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, Gardner Minshew had maybe his best game of the season, okay? Tying a career high. He had three touchdown passes, helping the Colts take that 30-13 to win. And after the game, Minshew was asked to grade his performance.
4: I was telling people in the locker room at this point, it's winning games. That's all that—that's all it is. However, you got to get that done. Um, we're gonna try to find a way. So I, I grade myself off wins more than anything right now, and that's you know, so thumbs up.
2: Thumbs up. W equals A. Okay, doesn't matter. He's like, it doesn't matter what I do as long as we get that W.
0: Gardner strikes me as a pass-fail guy, like big (laughs) fan of the pass-fail courses when he was in college. So that's the only metric for it, Dad. And he gets it done here. But really, this game, to me, about the Indianapolis rushing attack, Trey Sermon taking up for large stretches of this game as they've been banged up a little bit in their running back room, the Indy offensive line most of this season has looked back like the version from 2022, where Jonathan Taylor was an MVP, or 2021, where Jonathan Taylor was an MVP candidate, not 2022, where they looked lost.
3: Yeah, they rushed for 170 yards. We're going to talk about more than a few teams who have rushed for big yardage. They were another one averaging five yards to carry. Big thing from Inchu, no turnovers, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Hope Michael Pittman is okay on, on what happened that one play. Uh, DeMonte Kazee, uh, the safety for... Pittsburgh hit him, and I don't think he had any bad intentions. It looked like because he was trying to go lower, and Pittman was coming down after he caught the ball. It was just a very, very scary collision.
0: Baker put him in a bad spot with that ball. That was, you know, yeah. I saw people tweet about that was your old fashioned hospital ball right there. So well, it was Gardner, yeah, not Baker. Think- Gardner. Gardner, excuse me. Yeah. Gardner on yeah. that one. So uh, yeah, I'm with you though. I don't think there was any ill intent there. Right. Steelers offensively looks pretty broken. Mitchell Trubisky turning yeah. the ball over more. again. we talked about that being the biggest difference between him and Kenny Pickett. And you're seeing the rest of the offense, where the frustration for that George right. Pickens, one of the guys involved in that we've seen lackluster effort from Deontay Johnson in a couple weeks ago. So this group uh, sort of spiraling late in the season here uh, with a big struggle, Jesse, let's get to the final matchup from this one game that dad was calling and turned into an absolute route with Denver and the Lions
2: yeah this one pretty crazy so Dan Campbell and the Lions obviously his friend and mentor Sean Payton there now Denver had won six of seven heading into this game but Detroit rebounding from their loss in a big way they needed that one uh taking out the Broncos 42 17 after the game okay Campbell was talking about what it meant to get this win for him and for his squad
3: you have somebody you respect like I do him, and you've learned everything from in in essence, you're doing the same things that he does with your own team um uh, you know it 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 feels good um but it's also man the the ability for our team to win against uh somebody of his stature super Bowl winning coach does it right yeah it's that's good that's a good win man Because um, I know what he's about, so you know. I'm, I'm happy for our guys, you know, that that uh, we got a W here when we needed it. Get to 10, and now we got three to go.
2: On to the Dad, next one.
0: Dad, you were on the call for this yeah. one here. And while we can talk about Jared Goff, what happened to this Denver defense when the turnover stopped coming, once again, it was the ground game and really the Lions rookie yeah. showing up big for this game.
3: Yeah, here we go again, 185 yards rushing in this one for Detroit, averaging just under seven yards. So this was one, Mike, they had turnover issues, especially Jared Goff in the last few games of the 10 turnovers they had, I think, in the last three or four games, he accounted for nine of them. He played clean, five touchdowns, no interceptions. We talk about, Mike, the, the offensive depth for the 49ers. How about for Detroit? The two-headed attack of Gibbs and Montgomery in the backfield. Amon Ross St. Brown is having a monster year. Sam Laporta, the rookie tight end out of Iowa, stunner there out of Iowa tight end, is having a record-setting year. And Jamison Williams is coming along after the suspension early in the season. They have a lot of depth on that uh, on that offense right now. And defensively, Mike, I've never seen a team in a game time up their blitzes so well where the opposing team could not pick them up and make their adjustments. Yeah, no, Denver struggled mightily with that, so much so that we saw plenty of shots on the sideline of Sean Payton and Russell
0: Wilson oh, yeah. not having the most fun conversations in the world. So some of the air certainly let out of that balloon of a Denver team that had been riding high for a while. It's the most wonderful time of the year. March Madness getting ready to go in college basketball. And we got some of the best stars in the sport finally trying to close the deal. Zach Eady at Purdue trying to see if he can cap off an historic career with a championship. Much like his counterpart on the women's side and Caitlin Clark, who's been one of the biggest names in sports this entire year. And is looking to see if she can snag that elusive championship that's eluded her during her career. Regardless of who makes it to that final game of the tourney, though, one thing's for certain. It's going to take the most talented people like the two I just mentioned working together to help these teams play at a high level. If you're hiring, you want the most talented people on your team to help your business go to the next level. How do you find them? ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com Gojo. ZipRecruiter uses matching technology to score excellent candidates for your job. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And once you review your list of the most qualified candidates for your job, you can easily invite your top choices to apply, so they're more likely to apply sooner. Pick ZipRecruiter to help you build a winning team. Welcome back to Sports Mike Michael Jr., Michael Senior, and Jesse Cofield holding it down here. And when we got off air on Friday, we were still talking in the abstract about the future for the Los Angeles Chargers and a lot of their brass. Dad, since then, obviously they have decided to move on, not only from their head coach and Brandon Staley, but their GM Tom Telesco as well. So a full clean sweep for the Chargers in starting over anew. And Dad, while we weren't surprised by that. I was surprised by the conversation that I was having after with some people about what we're walking into this off season because we've already got a handful of jobs with head coaching right. opening going into the off season. One of them being this Los Angeles Chargers team right now. You also go along with the team like the Carolina Panthers who notched a really sad win yesterday in front of nothing and yeah. nobody against a Falcons team that could be adding to this pile if they're not careful there as well. But I started to think about it, Dad. Is this Chargers job, the unquestioned best job going into this offseason as it currently stands, or even factoring in other teams that could be involved? You know, we don't know what's going to happen with the Chicago Bears, let's say, and Matt Eberflus' future. The New England Patriots and Bill Belichick seem like they're on a collision course for an exit there. The Washington Commander's job could be freed up if they keep underperforming as well under Ron Rivera. But does Justin Herbert make this Chargers job the most appealing, hands down to you?
3: Yes, yes. I mean, that's, that's what a head coach is going to look at. He's going to look at ownership, and he's going to look at the quarterback. You know, what do I have to work with? Mike Williams will be back next year. You have Keenan Allen. You have Austin Eckler. We'll see how they can manage the rest of the roster. The defense has certainly been under – the whole team has been underachieving. So, yes, Carolina's got a young quarterback in Bryce Young, a young team building. Las Vegas, if they don't bring Antonio Pierce down somebody else, you have Aiden O'Connell. Is he going to be the guy? Are they going to give him the chance going forward, or are they going to change the situation? And then the the maybe Chicago, they're probably going to draft, even though, you know, Justin Fields plays well enough at times, and and then you wonder, why aren't they running him more? But they're going to go for, no no matter what anybody thinks, and I was one that said, I think they should have, have given Justin Fields the chance this year to see what he can do. They're going to go in a new quarterback, so it'd be a new quarterback situation. You don't have a quarterback in New England unless you think Bailey Zappi is going to be the guy. And in Washington, it was Sam Howell and again those last three they still have head coaches but we're just kind of you know hypothetical type situation of what the best situation is so I mean to me Mike it's not even close that it's the charges not just with Herbert but with the rest of the talent on that offense that that's where I would want to go if I am a head coach that's given a choice
0: Yeah, now, as some people have pointed out, and I saw Mina Kimes tweet about this over the weekend, they are in a tricky spot cap-wise next year for whoever comes in and buying the groceries. They're about $40 million over the cap next year. Their top targets on offense are all on the older side, so you're getting older and more expensive. Because we know, Dad, the whole story with this Chargers team is they've been the all-name team for the last couple of years, offensively and defensively, but when you've had moves pan out like J.C. Jackson on the defensive side that have not had the production match the name value or the price tag, you start to get a little bit wary about what you're walking into there, even though you answer that question. So I agree with you among the jobs you've got out there. You could make the division argument because of who they've got to play every year and Patrick Mahomes that right. that could be a little bit of a tall order. But that would be the same if you were going to go for a Las Vegas Raiders team that still has some quality offensive weapons but doesn't have an answer a quarterback. The only one I think that could give me some pause in that would be the Chicago Bears if that job came open with Matt Eberflus losing his job just because you've got so much draft capital. Capital. if you're a new coach coming in you'd have a chance and a new gm coming in you'd have a chance to potentially influence your future on which quarterback you're tied into into this draft you'd have another top pick built in there and the rest of that roster i mean you look at the way the offensive line and the defense have come together down the stretch of the season and there's a lot to like about the trajectory of the current team
3: how about the sweat in that trade with washington they and signed to that new deal he has been something, two and a half more sacks uh, yesterday against, you know, then again, when you're playing a guy like Joe Flacco, you know where he's going to be. But still, he has been he has been a great, great addition. And, and you, you, it was kind of a head scratcher when it happened. Remember, like, why are they bringing in a high value guy like that on a team that's going to probably start over at the quarterback position? But they gave him that new deal. You knew that was going to have to happen. And, and he seems real happy out there. So... I would understand that, but still, I think you're starting with a rookie quarterback again. Uh, so that, that's why I just think, you know, you're, you're hitting the ground more running with the Chargers. So time will tell. We'll, we'll see what right now it's Giff Smith, the, old line, or the outside linebacker coach who's the interim head coach. And I'm sure nobody believes he has a chance of being the head coach after the season. They'll go for a big name. And JoJo Wooden takes over as the interim GM for Tom Telesco until the season ends. And then we see what other changes are made.
0: As many people have pointed out, GIF and JoJo sounds like a buddy comedy or maybe like a buddy cop movie or something. The most hilarious head coaching and GM name combination ever. And yes, it is pronounced GIF and not Jiff, just like it should be. I don't care what the creator says. (laughs) Um, Dad, part of the reason, though, they were shown the door out there is because it's sort of the, and I always called this in the sec West. It was the Nick Saban problem where you had plenty of coaches in the sec West that probably would have kept their jobs if they were playing against anyone right. other than Nick Saban's Alabama, who just was this unrelenting standard, much the same way that we've seen in the AFC West with the uh, Kansas city chiefs. And they got back on track yesterday. Dad, they get a win. Like we expected over the new England Patriots. It wasn't the prettiest thing in the world. There were still some no. frustrating execution moments involving Kadarius Tony yet again. And you you saw Patrick Mahomes on the side. It looked like mouthing every week. It's something like this. So it still doesn't feel all the way right there, dad. But I think that's also just what Kansas City is going to be this year. Not all the way right on offense. And you're going to have to hope the defense can make enough plays. And that when it counts, you get some of the quality Kadarius Tony moments like you got in last year's postseason. And that Mahomes can be enough to lift you over the hump on his own, which this year, given the AFC field, is not necessarily out of the realm of possibility.
3: You know, I mean, you, you keep hoping the mistakes, you can fix them by the time you need them fixed, right? And one of the things we talked about is a few weeks ago, when Kansas City was up right at the top of drop passes, that players could start catching the passes. Well, they're still dropping passes. You know, I mean, even, even uh, Travis Kelsey dropped one in the end zone. It was a little high, but off his hands. You know, Travis Kelsey normally catches a pass like that. You have drops and then the mistakes like you said with Kadarius. Tony, Rasheed Rice does look like he is that guy though, right? Um, As far as and he's Kind of, kind of been that guy, kind of leaning that way. But he has been the guy. Nine receptions on nine targets yesterday. So it seems like they're really establishing he's going to be the that wide receiver. Obviously, Kelsey and then Pacheco didn't play again in this one. Uh, they'll, they'll get him back. I think one of the hardest runners in the league. They kind of remind me, Mike, of, of over in the NFC, the Eagles, to where, remember, these were the two Super Bowl teams, obviously, last year. Both now... You know, Philly technically leading the division after the Cowboys' loss. As Philly gets ready to play tonight, obviously Kansas City leading their division, but neither one playing like the team we're used to seeing. So, but you keep giving them the benefit of the doubt because of how good they've been that they'll get back to it. But you never know. You you, you just don't know. But they certainly do not look like the teams that were playing in the Super Bowl last year.
0: No, and they sort of get a free pass in this game. Like, I was more concerned on the other side that you even allowed this many points to this New England Patriots offense that yeah, they're so hapless. Yes. Bailey Zappi in this game threw for about 180 yards. The Patriots defense, I mean, it's been one of the best in the league despite their offense. You almost even weight that even more because they're getting no help from the other side of the football. So, Kansas City being able to go out and have some modicum of success. Patrick Mahomes throws for some stats that look nice against this bill Belichick led defense. That's still an impressive outing dad, but you're right. It's kind of like the conversation we'll have around MVP in the NFL this year is overall, everything feels a little bit down. Because of all the injury to quarterbacks around the league, because of just in general the injury and turnover we've seen, it doesn't feel like and I know Tom Brady tried to make this a more existential thing. I just think it's one of those years where you had so many guys hurt at yep. critical spots early on that the level of play overall for most teams is pretty down. And so it affects the way we look at it because any other year, yeah, this Kansas City team would get force-fed its own teeth by any of its other former iterations of itself. But this year they've still got a chance to win a Super Bowl because the rest of the field's a little bit more down.
3: Yeah, there's still a lot of talent in this league that we've seen perform at a high rate offensively. So I agree. You know, it's one of those years where it's down the defenses, as I've been talking about with some of their some of their um, strategy and what they've done with stunts and with exotic blitzes has worked more this year. And maybe we have to look more at is is offensive line a really down position in the NFL?
0: Uh, Yeah, offensive line is down when you've got to stare down guys like Miles Garrett over on the other side every snap.
2: Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. We had some college football bowl game action this weekend, but maybe... The most newsworthy moment happened prior to UCLA's 35-22 win over Boise State in the Starco Brands LA Bowl. So Burns head coach Chip Kelly was asked how he felt about this being his last bowl game as a member of the Pac-12.
4: Is it sad? Like a bunch of people couldn't figure out how to keep this conference together and that's sad. You know, this conference has been together since 1915. This is an amazing game. We, we, and we keep trying to screw it up. And I'm talking about the administrators and the coaches. It's on, it's on us. But the fact that there's not going to be a Pac-12 next year, the fact that Washington State is not going to be in a conference next year, the fact that Oregon State is not going to be in a conference, is, we failed. And our job is to create opportunities for student-athletes to be successful, and um, we didn't do it. And I think football should be separate from the other sports. Just the fact that our school is leaving to go to the Big Ten in football, our our softball team should be playing Arizona in softball. Our basketball team should be playing Arizona in basketball, but because football left. And they are say, well, how do you do that? Well, Notre Dame's independent in football, and they're in a conference and everything else. I think we should all be independent in football. And you can have a 64-team conference that's in the Power Five, and you can have a 64-team conference in the group of five. And we separate it, and we play each other.
2: You guys are familiar uh. with this idea. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he told us the same thing in August. And I feel like this headline has gone viral like three different times. Dad with chip, he's been very giving and very consistent on this subject and what he believes should happen for the rest of college football. And this is the kind of scenario, the one super league that people have whispered about in college football for years now, but to see a guy who's been an integral part and one of the faces of the sport during my lifetime. Be the one putting his name on it. I do think lends a little bit more weight and a little bit more credence to it.
3: Well, he's a hundred percent right too. I mean, it's a, just just thinking about and the fact we went through it. The fact that the West Coast teams are going to have to travel to the East, and, and I don't just mean I don't mean football, which we could we've done forever, but other sports, the Olympic sports. I mean, it, it's. ridiculous ridiculous to sports that play during the week or sports to do multiple games on the road of where they have to travel to it is crazy there was such non-thought of every other athlete at these schools it was just blinders on of football and money and so I guess we shouldn't be shocked at that so I, I, I agree with him. The, the question I would ask, and I agree this is going to happen, Mike. I, th- this is going to happen. You have to figure out who the commissioners are going to be for this. It, it certainly, you're not going to snap your fingers and it's going to happen overnight. But this is the way to do it. He is absolutely right it's the way to do it. My question is, yeah, once they separate football, and he talked about the football schedule, can the can the conferences go back to what they were? Can the Pac-12, yeah. for lack of a better term, reorganize so the you know so that as they say the horses are already out of the barn? Are, are the West Coast teams still going to travel to the East Coast? Does that not get fixed? So you do something better with football, something that should have been done, but you put this step in between of making the other athletes travel all over the country. You know, does does that genie get put back in the bottle? Once they go to this new thing, which I, I think they eventually will. It would be awesome
0: to see basically just the conferences all geographically reassemble. It's yeah. like after an Avengers end game, when all of a sudden you yeah. get the, you go back and you fix the past and everyone that turned into dust spoiler alert gets to come back. Um, I would like to see it that way, dad. I think it would make the most sense. I think it would be addressing the issue that we're talking about here as chief among the other sports and for football, on the other side of all this you think about what that would do too I always think of scheduling, it would go the furthest in evening out what's always been college football's chief problem as we try and crown a champion is the scheduling is so uneven and so difficult every year to try and couch amongst these conferences that are so disparate that each and every year rise and fall. And we try and have these debates based on a couple of out-of-conference matchups of who the best conference is, but we never really have enough of a sample to know without a shadow of a doubt. And so we're always trying to grade these uneven tests at the end of every year. And we get a situation like we got this year with Florida State and Alabama on the back end of the college football playoffs, So what he described there was big for that. And then the other part that he said that didn't get mentioned in this clip was we need to be revenue sharing with the athletes. He's like, they're the product. The sport doesn't go without them. We should have been doing this for a long time. And when you look at so many of the things that people identify as the problems around college sports right now, where people say, oh, the NIL and the transfer portals, the wild, wild west. It's what happens when you ignore the main conceit of the sport, which is these are employees who are not being treated as such. And so when you've got to try and skate around that truth and the way that the NCAA and all the powers that be have been operating, you get these areas and these gaps in what happens and what should be happening that start to look like the current iteration to the portal. Like you look at over the weekend, Kyle McCord transfers from Ohio state to Syracuse now officially announcing that he's where he, that's where he's going to land Malachi Nelson, the former five-star quarterback for USC looks like he's getting ready to leave there. So you get all this volatility in the sport because you can't have real contracts because they're not actually employees because they're being paid by these pseudo employers and the collectives. And so they rightly get to move around a little bit differently than if you just said yes this is your job you've got terms to the deal and you can't just move freely because of that
3: yeah uh i i think the kyle mccord one is weird to me is it you as well i mean you're starting quarterback at ohio state and you go in the portal you obviously were told something right well, of, of what was going to happen but what because why would you leave a team that just restocks talent after talent if you're going to be the starting quarterback
0: So I I, I need to find an article. It might've been the Columbus dispatch uh, that had an article that was documenting the things that went into this potentially with Kyle McCord. And I think it was this idea that he felt like at least reportedly, was should be paid a certain amount in the new nil world that quarterback valuations guys getting like seven figures in a season for being a top end quarterback and it didn't sound like ohio state and kyle mccord viewed him as a quarterback in the same way kyle mccord believes that he is one thing and ohio state believes that he's another and based on what we've seen dan i kind of understand ohio state's thought process yes. in this which is Yeah, Kyle McCord was a very good quarterback by college football standards. And by Ohio State standards, he was fine. Like we've seen, they've just had great quarterbacks. They've been one of the halves at that position. And so in this day and age, though, where it's like, all right, well, if you're not going to love me like that, someone will. Kyle McCord looked at the situation. Certainly what Syracuse is doing right now is noteworthy and said, all right, I'll take my talents and potentially my bank account elsewhere.
3: Yep, that's where we are. It's like, you know, NIL is free agency, you know, with what, what can be offered. I guess the thing, because I had a daughter in a a non-revenue sport in swimming, and we got to know so many of your friends from lacrosse and Sydney's and your guys' friends and Jake's friends from soccer and the other sports, that I I do have a, a place in my heart for those sports because those athletes work just as hard as football players do, or harder in some cases, but it's not a revenue sport. And the one thing I'll say is, no matter what system we get, Football is always going to be okay. Football is always going to be treated the best because that brings in the most money. So for the most part, I'm not saying perfect, they're going to be treated okay. And the other sports are the ones that nobody's going to give a damn about and they're going to get trampled on like they are right now. So I guess that's what I would like to see. Football is going to be fine. We've already gone through NIL and the portal, and and, and attendance is still there. Uh, ratings are still there. It's still an unbelievably popular sport. It didn't kill the sport. But man, what it's doing to to the other sports and the other athletes going forward of what they have to do now to compete in their sport they're working for, that. that's what kind of gets me. Football will be fine. Have a little bit of thought about the other athletes, which at this point, they don't.
0: No, and I think that's probably the biggest byproduct of what Chip's talking about is it simplifies the equation when you just admit what you've got in college football is a largely different entity than the rest of the sport. It is somewhere in between being a collegiate sport and an actual professional model. It probably is a professional model in a way that I think we've all acknowledged for a while, except for everybody who makes the decision. And again, When you won't admit that at the beginning of the conversation about all the way that this is structured, you see how out of whack it throws everything else because people from outside of the sports, higher courts, attorney generals, all these people in the governments that now get to weigh in on what's gonna happen with college sports have understandably looked at this situation and gone, yeah, the way that you guys have been trying to treat the players at the center of this is completely unjustifiable. And we have begun tearing down the walls around your sport because of that. And now there's really nowhere left behind.